So I had the displeasure this Wednesday of seeing Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves, the Batman. And I say displeasure because as a long-time Batman fan, and also a fan of the Snyderverse, an ardent defender of Ben Affleck's portrayal as the Dark Knight detective, particularly pulled from The Dark Knight Returns, a classic comic, which I'm not even that much of a fan of, but I thought that he did a brilliant portrayal of a grizzled, uh, battle-hardened veteran Batman who'd lost his morality and was slowly reclaiming his ideals on a long arc towards justice, as it were. I was very disappointed by Pattinson's casting originally and didn't have high hope for the film, but when the film came out, I was even more shocked by just how bloody woke it is, and I don't think that's an overestimation. I'm not just going to share in Ben Shapiro's critique that the film wishes Batman was Superman, although I do think he's correct on that, and I'm going to pick up on that later, particularly on the materialist idea that if Batman were just a little more hopeful, and if Bruce Wayne were just a little more philanthropic, then poverty wouldn't exist, and neither would crime. It's a very Marxist conception that's baked into the plot of this film. But I was also frustrated by the racial balkanization of virtue in the film. The fact that a lot of the characters, and I know Ryan Long from Geeks and Gamers talked about this and got a lot of flack for it on Twitter, the characters who were virtuous were almost unanimously non-white, at least those you can remember, and the characters who were villainous were definitely all white men. And Catwoman even remarks on this, so it's clearly a concern chiefly in the writer's and creative team's mind, and I say creative very loosely because they've maladapted a lot of the comics, particularly the ones that are my favourites and the ones that the cast and crew supposedly poured over. However, let's start off with the positives. What did I like? Well, I was pleasantly surprised by the suit. Now, I've got on the shelf behind me uh, Lee Bermeo and Brian Azzarello's Batman Damned, not a particularly great comic, very infamous, of course, for being one of the first black label titles, uh, showed Batman's meat and two veg has been subsequently censored, so I don't have the original version in all its Dr. Manhattan-esque brazen naked glory, but... The suit was surprisingly well put together. I was concerned that it, as an early Batman, the stitched together look wasn't going to be a great thing. I didn't like the collar uh, of the cape. I didn't particularly like the stitched together aspect of the cape and cowl over the nose, like Batman Earth One style from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. And I didn't really like the boots because they looked like they'd been pulled off of Foot Locker shelves and plastic soles weren't particularly great for kicking. Something more steel-toed would be more interesting. But I did like the way that the Batarangs could be detached as the Bat logo. I liked the sort of bulletproof armor to chest part. Um, the gauntlets were pretty interesting from Batman Zero Year by Scott Snyder. That was a heavy influence for this film, pretty obviously, particularly with the Riddler's final plot. And I also liked the way that Robert Pattinson really got to grips with Batman's tactics. Now, he used the suit, and I'm quite surprised to say that, but Pattinson in an interview said he was reading some of the more obscure material, like Legends of the Dark Knight Shaman, something which definitely needs a reprint now that he said it, guarantee it happens, and something I'd really like to see collected in Eagle Moss's Legend of Batman series, which I also like buying every so often when they actually like to deliver them. Thank you, France, and the Brexit tariffs that you've placed on us for me not getting my comic books. Pattinson said... Shaman really got into his head and sold Batman as a totem, a sort of animal spirit figure, uh, almost like how Vikings would put on suits and really believe that the battle armor gave them supernatural powers because they prayed to their gods and had the, the might of Valhalla behind them. It's a little bit like how the samurai often fashioned their armor in the vestige of the Japanese demon, the Oni, and having that power imbued them with a sort of supernatural ability to not only strike fear in their enemies, but somehow their, their sword became uh, sort of soul-stealing weapons in the midst of battle, and to really put on that armour in the vestige of some kind of demon or god, and truly believe in your heart of hearts that you're being imbued with a supernatural power, is a placebo effect that makes you fight on. Um, your enemies are terrified of you, and you have that supreme confidence to win the day. And the idea that Batman's that sort of figure as well, that he truly buys his own bull, so to put it, is a really interesting way of conceiving it, and it also bounces quite well off of uh, Batman Ego, which was a Darwin cookbook that Matt Reeves said inspired his story, and that is the idea that Batman is the Union Shadow, 
to Bruce Wayne, and Bruce is slowly trying to incorporate that dark part of him, the part that even he is scared of, and has been scared of ever since he first saw a bat when he was five, falling into that well. That Batman is this kind of demon that lives within Bruce's heart, uh, the sort of Sojournitsyn quote of, the line between good and evil runs not through states, but through the heart of every man and woman. The idea of that, mixed with the idea that Batman is a mythical totem, really does make this quite an interesting adaptation. And I'm quite surprised to say that Pattinson really wasn't as bad as I thought he was going to be. I think a lot of people memed sparkly vampire Batman into existence. The voice was interesting. Um, it was definitely more bearable and, and more audible than Christian Bale's later outings, where he sounded like he was gargling marbles or had a vicious form of throat cancer, unfortunately. Doesn't top Batflex, though. Uh, though there was no Bruce Wayne, and that is something that really was neglected by the film and I think that was a purposeful choice to say oh if you really were Batman you would neglect your civilian persona but to be faithful to the comics you do need that sort of visage uh, you need that that facade of I am operating in the day and I can do Nietzschean micro sleeping in the night with some sort of Buddhist magic magical technique if I'm trained that well and I can get away with being that difference between Batman and Bruce Wayne particularly when Okay, a mask that shows the latter half of your chin and your voice not being that different is going to be a dead giveaway. I know there's the joke about Superman, you know, having the glasses and people won't notice. Um, in the real world, we need a bit of suspension of disbelief. And, and Batman does go over that line. And there's a long history of that. That's with the jet-setting uh, James Bond-type comics of Neil Adams and Denny O'Neill in the 70s, um, right through to even when Bruce Wayne is dating uh, trust funders like Silverton Cloud or Vesper Fairchild or uh, even his bo bodyguard Sasha Bordeaux he's got a rich history of uh, lifestyle of uh, short term deep even dangerous relationships where he reveals his identity soon to like Jezebel Jet for example in Grant Morrison's run you need that dimension of Bruce Wayne being a playboy because it's a liability and it means that Batman does have a tragic flaw which he doesn't often have if he's just that obsessive Dark Knight detective type with not many people relying on him without a Robin, with an Alfred who in this film he's really rude to for some reason. He keeps telling Alfred, you're not my father. Really didn't like that dynamic in particular. I think Addy Circus wasn't a bad choice for playing a more year one, not year one, earth one rather, style Alfred who is an ex-serviceman who is more grisly and battle-hardened. Um, and a bit more distant, but I don't like the dynamic that Batman wouldn't rely on Alfred, particularly if he's grown up with him for the last 20 years, even if he's been travelling around the world, going to various universities and training. And particularly speaking of training, the rumours that Robin Patterson wasn't in Batman shape was definitely true. I don't wish to be arrogant, but I powerlift from time to time, and my girlfriend was watching with me, and even she said, hey, you're bigger than him. So if I'm barely in Nightwing shape, uh, I shouldn't be larger than Batman. So someone hand Pattinson a needle or something and before the next film starts filming. Now, I'm not particularly excited for the next film, um, for a few reasons. First of all, the comics that they adapted for this one, they didn't adapt them particularly well. So, the series they adapted were Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb's trilogy of The Long Halloween, Catwoman When in Rome, and Dark Victory. And those are very noir-esque, they're based on a lot of Hollywood tropes, it's why Carmine Falcone looks very much like Marlon Brando and The Godfather, they did something very similar in this film, uh, they even include the cat scratches eventually from year one, they didn't really show much of it, though it would have been quite nice to have that that shot with uh, Falcone with a particular bit of lighting as you see in The Long Halloween with the, the three scars down his face and really get the look there, but Neither here nor there. Um, however, the villains, they, they took the same approach of stuffing a few villains in here and, and making them all tie centrally to the main mystery, and Batman has to run the gauntlet of his rogues gallery before he uncovers the truth of it all. The villains themselves, though, weren't all that compelling. Uh, a lot of people heap praise on Colin Farrell's Penguin. This version of the Penguin wasn't particularly my favourite adaptation, and I think a lot of people 
myself included, thought that they were going to, by casting Colin Farrell, go with a more Emperor Penguin or Penguin from the Telltale Games aesthetic, a sort of slenderer, gentleman Penguin who's a bit more smarmy and arrogant. Um, I definitely think as well that if the Telltale Games writers weren't credited in the film's credits or consulted during the scriptwriting process, they should sue for damages and plagiarism because the film is basically a one-to-one recreation of the first season of the Telltale Games, just with the Riddler swap for Lady Arkham and uh, Harvey Dent's role pretty much removed. Um, But the Catwoman, the Penguin, and the uh, uncovering the mystery of Gotham's first families, the Arkhams, the Waynes, the Elliots, etc., and how Thomas Wayne was secretly working with Carmine Falcone is plucked straight from the Telltale Games and not particularly anywhere in the comics. But the Penguin, I didn't think he was bad. I just thought having the Penguin be Tony Soprano was a little bit of a letdown, and I don't see how he can carry a HBO Max series entirely on his own as is planned. I know there's going to be a GCPD spin-off show that's going to be something like Gotham Central. Um, I think there's going to be a Penguin series, there's rumors for a Catwoman series, rumors for an Arkham Asylum series. Can we just... If you want to do a sprawling Batman storyline, have them do limited series on HBO Max or something. I mean, you don't even need to necessarily do Batman movies. Comics lend themselves very well to limited series runs. It's just a shame that DC is putting together some terrible series recently. Look at the CW, for example. The Flash cheesy as all hell, Um, constantly the Iris West show. All the series have racial recasting. Um, That's a precedent that's not just set by the Batman with Commissioner Gordon and Catwoman, but it's also in Titans with Tim Drake, who was just made bisexual in the comics by splitting up with some Stephanie Brown, which was a very frustrating thing to do. Hopefully it doesn't stay canon. Um, But also one of the uh, young guys in the gang at the start who chases the Asian man down in the subway station with half his face in makeup, he plays Tim Drake in Titans. They've just announced that Carrie Kelly in the new Gotham Knights TV show, something that will absolutely crash and burn, is a black girl from the That's a Raven sequel on Disney Channel. And now, the Batgirl movie is uh, Leslie Grace, I believe her name is. She's a, I believe she's mixed race, or she might just be a black American. Um, she's playing Barbara Gordon, though not with Jeffrey Wright being her father, and instead it is J.K. Simmons It's all very confusing, and it doesn't have to make sense, because if you look at it through the lens of authenticity, your brain will be scrambled. But if you look at it through the lens of representation and granting privileges to certain groups that people believe are marginalised, then it starts to make sense that, oh, it's not about making a good film, it's just about pushing political propaganda. All more makes sense. And that, unfortunately, came home to roost in the Batman. As we'll speak about the the first villain that was maladapted, and that was Catwoman. Zoe Kravitz, I'm sure she might be a nice woman. Um, I thought her comments on Final Fantasy VII were a bit eye-rolling, apparently, that having Tifa and uh, Aerith as a love triangle is all that's wrong with the world because men some for some reason like compassionate and strong and attractive women and you know we like to have our choices um, it's a male fantasy that you know beautiful women are fighting over you because you're such a badass with a giant sword I suppose but uh, all that's wrong with the world um, but Catwoman herself doesn't seem to be too concerned about beautiful women um, and how that might be patriarchal because Zoe Kravitz had in mind Catwoman is bisexual now that's not an issue considering the comics um, she grew up around women she was a prostitute so I'm sure she had had customers of both kinds, not that I endorse that. But then the irony that I'm going to be lectured on my morality by, uh, and particularly my oversexualization of a woman, by a woman who, to method act, decided to drink milk out of a bowl, and then her character is a thieving, murderous prostitute, it's bordering on the absolutely absurd. And the racial hiring of Catwoman um, was a predicate that was very much in the minds of the writers, because Catwoman in the film herself says, um, the city only cares about a bunch of white, privileged assholes. Now, it's frustrating to see, when the casting call came around, that they were hiring only black women. And that's not because 
uh, the old tired tropes of you must be racist because you don't want a black woman playing Catwoman. Eartha Kitt played her in the 60s. Okay, number one, that version in the 60s was not a proper adaptation either. That was an unfaithful adaptation because the author, uh, the writer, Bill Kane and Bob Finger, I know Bob Kane and Bill Finger, rather, and more credit to Bill Finger, please, because Bob Kane was an absolute out-and-out plagiarist and couldn't draw nor write. But they envisioned Selena Kyle as a white woman. Um, and I say white, she's actually technically biracial, because later on, after Long Halloween, revealed that her parentage would be Carmen Falcone, as was explored in this film, her mother's parentage was that of Maria Kyle. I don't know what her original maiden name was, but after she was married to uh, the abusive father, Mr. Kyle, uh, Maria had come from um, Castro's regime uh, in Cuba. She'd escaped communism. She was a refugee in America. Now, if that's not an incredibly woke story that the, the people could have seized on, I don't know what is. But very much like, and I've written this in an American Spectator piece, a review that's going to be coming out soon, very much like Claudia Rankin's Citizen, a poem about police brutality, got attacked by progressives for saying, hey, you didn't talk about Latino victims of police brutality, so this is actually racist. The progressive stacker started eating its own because they could have had a story about uh, the American refugee system, about the border, about how Hispanic immigrants find it really hard to become out of poverty in America, but instead they bypassed over Catwoman's authentic racial heritage, uh, ethnic heritage rather, not racial, um, and a reason why she would have been impoverished and would have grown up uh, with a stealing acumen and instead just race swapped her and uh, we didn't find out much about her mother beyond her mother worked in the club um, Carmen Facone had a distant relationship with her etc it didn't give much of a compelling reason to even change the character beyond modern day racial politics the same goes for Commissioner Gordon Jeffrey Wright his nonsensical Twitter opinions they frustrate me of him as a person his portrayal of Gordon wasn't particularly bad, but it wasn't compelling either. And some of the language, like the lengthy use of man repeatedly, pulled me out of the film because it, was, it wasn't it was the kind of Gordon that I'd come to expect from year one or the grizzled cop that I'd seen even in the Telltale games who for every two seconds is smoking a pipe and exclaiming Christ. And that's the kind of Gordon we wanted to see, let's be fair. Um, it felt almost like we were doing a bit of a rerun of the cop on his last ropes and the plucky young junior detective who's very smart from Seven. And I understand that Seven was a heavy influence from this film, but can we please not do a rerun of Seven down to the racial dynamics of the casting, please? It's just not authentic to the comic books that myself and plenty of fans have been buying for so many years so that you guys could have a job ruining them. And speaking of ruining them, the Riddler. Now, the Riddler's plot is circuitous. It's a little ridiculous. Um, the idea that Riddler has such a level of influence where he has 500 fringe followers... I think the ending was possibly partially reshot. I know there were extensive reshoots that delayed the film back in February of 2021, and they took place in New York. And I think that was to, and forgive my speculation if it's incorrect here, but uh, that was to reintroduce aspects of media narratives around domestic white supremacy, terrorism, and January 6th towards the end, because quite clearly the Riddler and his henchmen were shooting up the uh, mayor's election announcement, etc. party. And it was the Democrat Party colours. So this links into the broader point of race being tied to virtue in the film. You had a black nurse, you had a black cop, both of those were very compassionate. Um, you had the Hispanic cop who just so conveniently had an uncle in carpet fittings and so could tell Batman the crucial piece of information to uncovering Riddler's plot and he just so happened to be the one cop guarding the door and able to talk to Batman at the time. Uh, you also had Commissioner Gordon, you had Catwoman, and you had the Democrat mayoral candidate who was uh, a compassionate black woman who just told Bruce Wayne to spend more money helping the poor. Every other character in Gotham system were white men and they were all corrupt. And again, Catwoman said, 
white privileged assholes as a pejorative term. So the film is chiefly concerned with promoting the idea that if we were just to elect more diverse, more compassionate candidates into position of power, we'd uphold, um, uh, we'd, we'd uh, do away with the white supremacist system that's keeping so many people down, that's being upheld by the corruption, and somehow Gotham would have less poverty and so would the world. It's a, it's packaged with left-wing assumptions. It's a very materialist idea. I don't buy into it um, for numerous reasons, mainly because it doesn't account for individual personal behaviour. And it's also buying into the Engels conception from conditions of the working class in England that crime is always a product of absolute privation. Well, if you actually look at the, the rates of burglary, it's often in inner cities um, where poverty is not absolute. I mean, the level of poverty in America now, most impoverished people have LCD television, so they're, they're hardly going hungry all that much. In fact, we actually have an obesity epidemic rather than a hunger issue in the developed world. The hunger issue is almost solely in the undeveloped world, and that's mainly due to lockdowns with 20 million extra starvation deaths caused by the pandemic and the shortages of food production, with more of those to come due to the Ukraine crisis. But that's neither here nor there. Um, Poverty-related theft is actually related to relative poverty. It's related to envy. It's related to the accruing of more material wealth and more possessions and uh, more disposable income-based goods. So the idea that if we just spent more money on philanthropy, if we just elected more representative politicians, etc., that the crime and poverty would be eliminated is wrong. That places the idea that um, virtue and vices are tied to identities, are tied to arbitrary systems, that just a few people in power are responsible for poverty, just a few people in power are responsible for inequality, just a few people in power are responsible for engineering people to be jealous and capricious and murderous, Human evil is not that easy a problem to solve. Um, this is why the tragedy of the commons exists, for example. If you had all property held in common and everyone treated it with, with respect, well, if it took 10 years to build a brilliant, beautiful wall and then one man walks up to it and puts a stick of dynamite underneath it and blows it up, then that one person has affected the well-being and the security of thousands of people. And that was the thing that the Dark Knight understood, for example, that the Joker is just one man who wanted to watch the world burn. And unfortunately, there are people like that out there. So... All the social programs in the world, all of the Batman converting to a symbol of hope rather than a vengeance, won't fix that. But anyway, returning to the Riddler. I know a massive digression, but the Riddler's plan is to uh, show the corruption of Gotham. It is to recruit 500 very fringe types to uh, enact vengeance on uh, Gotham's systemic corruption, etc. To really tell the truth. And they've essentially built up Riddler as a ranting, raving, incel-type terrorist that all of the media outlets from The Guardian to CNN were convinced would shoot up Joker screenings that never materialised, and they were practically begging it to happen so they had some sort of trend to jump on. Whereas Joker was a scream in the sky of people that felt dispossessed by the modern world, by uh, lacking job opportunities, by the crashing economies, by uh, evaporating mental health systems, by people that were driven to hostility by cancel culture mobs online, which is the whole reason the director shifted towards making the serious film like Joker, rather than the comedies like The Hangover that he used to make. Rather than that, The Riddler was almost a condemnation of these people. It was a reduction of them down. It was, it was saying that um, all these people are going to be like this, and uh, if only they were more like the compassionate, uh, downtrodden black people in the system trying to change it, it would be much better utterly ridiculous. And it wasn't like the film fully condemned Riddler's anti-capitalist sentiment. He had the very much idea of, eat the rich, we should redistribute wealth to, to be more 
equitable the power should be to the people and Catwoman even had some sympathy for that so it was kind of a bit of a strange mixed message there it seemed almost like if it was Catwoman doing Riddler's tactics we should supposedly be more sympathetic to it because she's actually oppressed versus the Riddler is just a white guy hiding in his bedroom and feigning oppression and he's a narcissist so it's, it's very disappointing and it's strange actually that that message is in the film because again alluding to Catwoman's history fleeing communism perhaps one of the reasons why they changed it because Catwoman's background is itself a critique of socialism ever happening Carmine Falcone actually quips when Bruce Wayne goes to see him in in the club while he's playing pool with a penguin and some, and some colleagues he says that's the reason communism never worked gentlemen austerity and that comes from the mouth of the villain, so it may just be that, oh, real communism has never been tried, it's just something said by dirty, corrupt capitalists. But it's also true that communism always produces privation, poverty, starvation, inequality, and civil unrest. And so it's strange to have a villain who is so observably as corrupt as the inner party members of the Soviet Union, for example, uh, building up giant social programs under the guise of supposedly helping people and then owning all the law courts as organs, organs of the state, owning the secret police, uh, owning the judiciary, owning most of the property. It's strange that someone so representative of the corruption that would be seen under communism and state control is joking that communism wouldn't work. At the same time, the film is almost ex advancing this sort of left-wing progressive view of social conditions as poverty would uh, cause crime and can be crime can be eliminated by the elimination of poverty. And also, if we were just more equitable in our outcomes across racial and gender lines, and the whole world would be in a rent-free utopia where everyone has abundant stuff and everything would just run well. It's weirdly mixed messaging within the film. I don't think it fully understands itself. So it's pretty disappointing to see a lot of these narratives circulate within the Batman and, and permeate so through, um, as well as just the strange sort of suspension of disbelief matters of Batman so conveniently stumbling on the Riddler's plan with that one piece of crucial information from a cop, the idea that a couple of small, well-placed uh, truck bombs could decimate an entire city's flood defences and, and cause a no-man's-land-like scenario that we're going to see soon. It's also, I'm getting very much Joker fatigue. The Joker is one of my favourite comic book characters of all time, definitely in the top ten. But the idea that we've now had four to five Jokers within the last decade uh, or so, it's pretty exhausting. Um, I'm someone who even enjoyed parts of Jared Leto's performance, despite the butchery by the Suicide Squad editors. But I think we've more than had enough now, and I'm not particularly excited to see the adaptation of failing DC Comics writer Tom King's Batman storyline, The War of Jokes and Riddles, come to screen, which is what the final scene with the Riddler and Joker talking seemed to have teased. It's just frustrating that the Batman has mired itself so much in contemporary politics that the integrity of the story falls flat on its face. I hope next time that if they decide to adapt something like The Court of Owls, as they've teased, or if they truly decide to adapt Hush rather than just allude to it and weirdly choose the version, the animated film version of the Riddler secretly being Hush with a question mark carved into his forehead uh, than the actual Hush storyline with Tommy Elliott, if they choose to do a story with serious integrity like that, Please just be faithful. It's frustrating to see aspects of these stories pulled apart and mangled together with your own personal predilections in a way that's not authentic to the creatives and isn't really respecting the fans who bought comics for the last, well, Batman's existed since for 80 years plus. But for me, for example, I've bought comics since I was 
it got about three or so. Um, I remember my first two comics were Batman 617 and 618. So those were the issues of Hush in single issue form where Jason Todd returns. Uh, it's actually Clayface, but you see the flashbacks of Jason being murdered. And my first encounter with Batman as a character was a father who's lost a son and is still fighting on despite that loss. And even as a kid, I was like, wow, that's really cool. And so I, I immediately got into Batman from there, watching some of the old films. You know, I grew up on Batman and Robin, didn't realize how terrible it was until I got older. But now I think my Batman taste is quite refined by the fact that I've got three bookshelves worth of just solely DC comics, practically. Um, the idea that we don't have the respect for that source material, or that we don't venerate it, that we don't mind if you mangle it in the few opportunities that you have to adapt this film, is frustrating. And we bought these comics until you have the job to adapt them. So please at least be faithful to what we want to see. Of course, some comics need some changes, and not every comic is perfect. There are tons of terrible comics out there. There's plenty of terrible Batman comics out there. As I already said, Tom King's is a pretty prominent example, but for some reason they seem to be writing and reading those, as Robert Pattinson cited. But please, for the love of God, can you put your political prescriptions aside? I know with the grand scheme war of position you have going on throughout all cultural institutions that you feel you need to interject diversity and inclusion in it. I know you're desperate for the Oscars and all these accolades that you think you can win by having your uh, industry buddies pat you on the back so you need to have a certain degree of racial hiring quotas. I believe it was Belfast was the recent film where there was a black police officer and an Indian shopkeeper and when asked about this and, and Eamon Holmes said to the director well I lived in Belfast at the time and the, it was practically 100% um, Irish ethnicity which meant that there wasn't a great deal of diversity in Ireland um, the director said well we wouldn't have been afforded any funding by the film boards unless we had a certain diversity quota in it compared to the characters can you please put that aside, for the love of God, and make a film with some integrity? Things were much better when we weren't chiefly concerned with this. Um, I understand that you're desperate for funding, etc. Can you at least, if you're going to put black characters in the film, one, do it authentically, with the likes of Lucius Fox, everyone beloved, particularly the portrayal by Morgan Freeman, I don't see anyone complaining about that. Uh, and, and two, can you not put racial politics in it? I understand that Hollywood types aren't the best and brightest, and they think they're just being good by pandering to these uh, woke narratives about how basically all white people are bad and have an innate form of privilege and uphold white supremacy. But funnily enough, I don't feel all that uh, privileged having to sit there and listen to a thieving, murderous prostitute tell me why I'm a bad person from my birth. And I don't see how it's any different from old racist narratives to say, hey, you who aren't particularly powerful and uh, are, are far less powerful than the likes of a black mayoral candidate in Gotham City, for example, did you know that you're more white privileged and, and therefore you have to uh, give over all the opportunities you have to underrepresented people because somewhere along the past their ancestors might have been oppressed, even though yours might not have because you were Irish and you were probably enslaved as well. Um, yeah, I'm, I don't see how that's any different from basically saying, hey, all black people are heroes and all white people are villains. I don't think all black people are Superman, I don't think all white people are Lex Luthor, and I don't think anyone with any sense does either. So, Hollywood, just, just a quick little message. Please, for the love of God, make a Batman movie with some integrity, uh, or just let it lie for a, for a little while. I was happy for the film not to be made at all, and, and after Batflex left. Um, it's just incredibly frustrating to see that some of my favourite properties, and some of our favourite properties, are maladapted in this way.